My name's Chris. I'm the campus pastor here um, in Spring Hill, and it's just a joy to be with you this morning. Hey, before we jump into our scriptures um, this morning, I want to just share and celebrate with you um, something that happened last week here at the bridge. Last week, we saw over 530 people jump into a community group last week here at the bridge. Yes, absolutely. You can clap for that. We celebrate that. 530 new people looked and said, I want to experience an environment um, where I can kind of take off the mask and I can kind of go into another level of just having conversations with people. We don't believe here at the bridge that life change happens inside of this room because it's impossible inside of this room for us to take the mask off. And so 530 of you all said last week that you wanted to jump into this community group and we're so excited. If you weren't here last week um, and maybe you've missed the email, you can still sign up for a group. You can go to bridgesh.com slash groups, and there's a list of all of our community groups up there. You can sign up for one. We'll help you get connected. Groups are launching this week, so you picked a perfect time to jump in um, to one of those groups. So excited, excited, excited about being here with you as we're putting a bow on this series of Jesus Outside the Lines. Um, Several months ago, Josh came to me and said, hey man, I'd like for you to preach um, this weekend, would that be good with you? And I said, absolutely, man. What do you want me to preach on? Um, And I can't decide still even today, like, was this some kind of message that he was giving to me? Um, Or was this like just kind of happenstance? He said, I want you to preach on being a hypocrite or a work in progress. And I was kind of like, okay, is this going to come up in my review at some time? Like, how are you kind of trying to tell me this? So we're going to be camping out there today. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. While you're grabbing your Bibles and turning there, um, my family and I, we've been here now at the bridge for about five months. We're absolutely loving what God's doing here. I hope you know, um, like, this just doesn't happen, what's happening here at the bridge. So hopefully you're like us. We're just grateful to be here, a part of it. You see up on the screen, this is my family. Um, You see the lovely young lady up there. That is my wife, Dawn. Um, Dawn and I have been married now for 12 years, um, and we met each other when we were working at a church. um, in college together. She was working in kids ministry. I was working in student ministry. I remember the first time I saw her, she was putting together a little bulletin board in the kids ministry area. um, And I was walking by, she was wearing a little brown dress. And I was like, I've got to get to know this girl. Um, And so like, I started kind of like hanging out in the kids ministry area, like trying to love on kids. Hey, look at me. I love kids and all this kind of stuff. And she then proceeded to tell her friends at the church, I don't know who this guy is who works in student ministry, but he is obnoxious. She calls it obnoxious. I call it charming. And as you can see, charming won out. Um, We've been married now for 12 years, and all the things that I thought I knew about going into marriage and what an incredible husband I would be in real life like Christ loves the church. Um, You see the oldest guy here, his name is Lul. Um, Lul, we adopted Lul when he was 11, almost 12 years old, um, from Ethiopia. Um, And when we were going through, this is a picture of him on his 18th birthday. Um, And so he's been with us coming up on seven years in November. Um, When we were going through the adoption process with Lul, um, our caseworker and all of our adoption agency, they kept saying to us, hey, you need to make sure you read this book on older child adoption. And you need to read this book on older child adoption. You need to watch this video on older child adoption. Like, it's just different than anything you could ever experience. And I remember thinking... Like, hey, dude, you don't know me. 
I've been a student pastor for six years. I think I know what teenagers are like. It's a lot harder when they live in your house. (laughs) And they come home with you. It is like what I thought being a dad to a teenager was, and now an adult, as he likes to tell me, um, that he is. Uh, Being a dad is a lot harder than I ever thought it would be. And the longer I've gotten into this, and the better equipped I thought I would be, the more I realize how much further I I have to go. Um, The younger guy that you saw in the picture, this is Miles. Um, Miles, we actually adopted Miles first. Um, we adopted Miles when he was six months old in Ethiopia and met Lul while we were there and went back a year later and adopted him. Um, this is Miles and I, um, this last season at his first UT game, um, together. And it was like one of the highlights of my life to kind of bring something I love and so passionate about and saying, Hey, come, let's go do this together. My favorite line that he used while we were at the game, um, the, it was the fourth quarter. There was about two minutes left. The UT was up by like a touchdown, I think. And the other team was driving down the field and Miles said, dad, my stomach's doing really weird things right now. I said, welcome to being a balls fan, buddy. This happens all the time. And so we adopted Miles when he was six months. He just turned eight. Um, And when we adopted Miles, like I really thought like I had all these ideas of what being a dad was going to be like. Um, Before I was ever a parent, like I remember sitting in restaurants and thinking, my child will never behave like that (laughs) out in public. Um, or I remember sitting there like as we'd be hanging out with friends who already had kids and like we're hanging out all having a good time and they're like, all right, well, we got to go. And I'm like, dude, where are you going? It's nap time. I remember looking at my wife and like our schedule will never, ever revolve around nap time. Or maybe like I remember like hanging out and parents were like, I am exhausted. I'm like, why are you so tired? And they're like, well, we're trying this whole thing of like cry it out and like we're just letting them cry and I'm like well just put earplugs in and go to sleep like it can't really be that hard can it or maybe it was like when I would go out to eat and I would see parents who would like have special food for their kid and I remember looking at Don saying whatever we put in front of our kid they're going to eat even if it's the next day or getting in someone's car and being like my car will never ever look like this But now eight years in, I look back, and now I am now the dad who remembers my two-year-old screaming and me looking around in this restaurant and being like, whose kid is this? And it was mine. Or us sitting there and having to leave someplace um, because it was nap time, and Lord knows we don't want to get in front of no nap miles, right? (laughs) Or sitting in his room at 3 a.m. after he's been crying from 12 until like 2 And he's just crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, okay, I'll go in there. Finally, please. And rocking him, be like, Don, can I put him outside just to sleep tonight? He can cry it out out there. Or I'm now the dad who walks into Outback Steakhouse with a box from McDonald's as I walk in. (laughs) All country with all the food that's in my car. You see, the longer that I've gotten into this whole thing of parenthood, the more I realize that even though I'm learning so much and even though I feel like I'm becoming a better dad, the longer I'm in this, the more I realize how much further I have to go. 
I would imagine for you, there's things in your life that you feel the same thing with. Maybe it is being a parent. Maybe you never imagined as a parent that when you were on your way here to church this morning, that it would be like World War III on the way in. You're yelling, you're screaming, you're reaching back, trying to just slap anything you can get a hold of. And you pull into the parking lot and you see our wonderful parking lot team waving at you and you're like, yeah, buddy, you have no idea what's happening in this car. And you open up the door and you get out and you're like, all right, kids, let's go praise the Lord together. (laughs) You never thought it would be like that. Or maybe you're into this marriage thing and you really thought like you would be the person that would serve your spouse with everything that you have. And now you look more and more into it and you realize that you're not doing that. You're actually asking them to sacrifice so much for you, but you're not willing to sacrifice anything for them. Maybe you're somebody who you've been working your way up the corporate ladder and you always thought you'd be this person of team first and sacrifice for the team and to serve others and to do all these things. And now you're looking, you're saying, the reason why I've gotten up this corporate ladder is because I've been willing to step on anybody in my way to get there. And the person that you thought that you would be in maybe these things, you feel like such a hypocrite of who you really are today. I would imagine maybe you feel that way in your spiritual walk at some time. That you came to know Christ and you thought that what Jesus would do in your life um, would be totally different than what he's done. And you've been walking with the Lord and maybe you've even gotten a little kinder. Maybe you've even become a little bit more generous. Maybe you've become more resilient and you've been willing to speak up for others. Maybe even people look at you and say, hey, since you've come to know Jesus, I see a huge difference in your life. And you can't help but just kind of sit there and think, man, it seems like the closer I've gotten to Jesus, the less I really feel like I look like him. And maybe you actually hear the world saying things to you like, hey, you're such a hypocrite. Or maybe you're saying that to yourself because of all the ways that you've messed up. And the world is sitting here saying Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. We can't trust them. When you look in the life of Gandhi, Gandhi was um, somebody who um, was a Hindu who was very sacrificial in his life. The way that he lived his life was very sacrificial. He, he gave up so much so that so many people um, could have so much more than what he had. Um, he served other people in a way that was just incredible. One day when he was riding in the third class train, um, someone asked him, um, hey, Gandhi, why do you ride in, the fir- in a third-class train? He was riding a third-class train. Why do you ride in this third-class train? He said, because there's no fourth class. Because he sacrificed so much. Gandhi's famous um, in quoting when he says, um, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. And this guy who lives this sacrificial life Um, is looking and saying, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. And Gandhi actually even says that he took so much of his life and the way that he modeled his life after um, the teachings of Jesus. But yet Gandhi never seriously considered being a Christ follower. Because he said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. And unfortunately, like we see that time after time after time in society, 
where people would say, I like Jesus, but I don't like the way that Christians. He said, I cannot be sure they don't have the truth. He's talking about Christians here. But if they have the truth, why is it the case that they are repellent precisely to the degree that they embrace and advertise the truth? One might even consider becoming a Christian if there were few, if any, Christians around. And the world hears hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. The world hears people like Gandhi say, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Novelist Perry says that if more people would come to know Christ, if there were less Christians around. And I just can't help but wonder, is this really the city on a hill that Jesus envisioned when he talked about us as believers being followers of Christ? And so what do we do with all that? Like, what do we do when people look and they say, hey, I don't go to church. I don't like to be around Christians because they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Do we simply just look at them and say, yeah, you're right. And we've got room for more. Come join us. Like, is that how we respond? Or do we look at ourselves and we try to better ourselves and, and kind of make ourselves feel better by just saying, you know what? We're really not hypocrites. We're really just works in progress. Is there really such thing as a Christian who is less off-putting, he's less offensive or more inviting, they're less irritating, um, and they're more endearing? I, I think that there is. But I think where that comes from is it comes from Christians who understand their identity and who they are in Jesus This morning, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. While you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of background on the book of 1 Timothy. Paul, at this point, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, Paul is on his fourth missionary journey. Um, And in this fourth missionary journey, he's left um, Timothy in charge of the church of Ephesus. And as he's writing this, he's seen that there's become problems in this church. And so he's writing Timothy, his apprentice, to kind of give him um, just, some, just some encouragement of pastoring them. The whole theme through this book is him encouraging Timothy to encourage the people, the church of Ephesus, um, that the gospel produces holiness in the lives of believers. And that there's really no legitimate separation between belief And behavior, does this sound familiar even to us today? That there's no separation between belief and behavior. And then he encourages them, as you go all the way through this book, he encourages them that those who profess faith need to show progress in looking more and more like Jesus. And if they don't, then they should really question their spiritual health. So let's dive in here together this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 12, and it says this. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy. Paul, as he's writing this, 
he begins to feel the gravity of his own hypocrisy even more at the end of his journey of following Jesus than he had at the beginning of his journey. If you look at all the letters and that Paul has written, um, you see in one of his first letters, um, Paul starts it off and he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, claiming and saying, hey, I'm an apostle. Look at who I am. He's saying, I am what apostle that Jesus has appointed. And then in the next one of his letters, you see him actually say, I am Paul, the least of the apostles. He's starting to realize like the closer he gets to Jesus, he's not what he thought that he really was. He's, I'm Paul, the least of the apostles. He continues in one another, one of his letters, and he says that he is Paul, the least of all the saints. Um, The saints in the Bible refers to us as followers of Jesus. He's saying, hey, out of all of the saints, out of all the followers of Jesus, I'm actually the least of these. And then we see right here in 1 Timothy that he says that he is the most prominent sinner out there. He could write that because I wasn't there yet. And we see that Paul, the closer that he got to Jesus, the more he realized and the more he felt like the less he looked like Jesus. The closer he got to Jesus, the less he felt like he looked like Jesus. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Matt was teaching in Romans chapter 7. And he was talking about in Romans chapter 7 where Paul actually referred to himself as wretched man that I am. And realizing just the gravity of his sin. Um, And Matt put up this example up on the screen, just kind of remind us a little bit of who Paul is as he's writing this. If you remember this chart that we talked about, that Paul at his conversion, um, he thought he had this idea of God's holiness. And he thought he had an idea of his sinfulness. But the closer that he got to Jesus and the more time that he spent with Jesus, he realized how much more holy Jesus was and how much more sinful he was. And he realized the more holy Jesus was and the more sinful that he was, he realized how big the cross actually had to be in his life in order for him to fully be able to be in this relationship with Jesus because of how holy he was. Now, when he began to realize this and he was calling himself this wretched man, Paul could have just hung it all up at that point and said, man, there's no reason to even try anymore. I'm going to stop going on these missionary journeys. I'm going to stop going um, and planting churches. I'm going to stop writing letters to pastors and encouraging them. I'm just going to hang it up. But Paul doesn't do that. Because look what he realized in 1 Timothy that we just read in verse 12 and 13. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. You see, Paul admits to being a blasphemer. He admits to being a persecutor of Christians. Paul was the guy who was going around and killing Christians just because they were Christians. Paul was the guy going around and showing this arrogant lack of respect um, to the faith of Christianity. This is who Paul was. But notice what he says right here. He says, this is who I was. And he uses the word formerly. It's this past tense. Because he knows now who he is in Jesus. 
That's not who he is. He says that Jesus still has a calling. He's appointed him to his service. Many times in my life, when I've messed up, um, and like I just look at my life and I say, God, how could you ever use someone like me? I forget this that Paul realized so quickly in his life, is that our failures don't change God's plan. We see in Ephesians chapter 2 that God's plans for our life even reminds us that we are his workmanship. Do nothing but to do good works. God's plan for you when he came and came into your life and changed your life and brought you into a relationship with him was for you to do good works. His plans for you was to appoint you to his service. And this work in progress that we may call it, or as we may have heard it called, our sanctification is God changing us from who we were to looking more like him to do the works that he's prepared for us. And our failures don't change that. We see that all the way through the Bible. Um, We see uh, Moses, the prophet of Israel. um, He doubted God. He resisted God. But God still used Moses to bring the Israelites in view of the promised land. Uh, Abraham and Isaac, man, they were terrible husbands who put their wives in harm's way. And God continued to use them. King David, um, he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. Um, But he was described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart because his failures didn't change God's plans. And he actually wrote most of the book of Psalms that encourages us today. King Hezekiah flirted with adultery and finished his reign as king poorly, but he was described as someone who did right in the eyes of the Lord. Thomas, who's credited with taking the gospel after the resurrection east, Doubting Thomas as you are going to do, I still have plans for you. And even in your doubt, your failure to believe what I told you I was going to do, I still have plans for you. And you take the gospel east. Peter, he had a very abrasive personality. Um, I like to just say he's maybe a little obnoxious, maybe, if you would. Um, he fell into old patterns of elitism and exclusion. He moved away from fellowship with believers. But what did Jesus say about Peter? He said, on this rock, I will build my church. Despite their failures, it didn't change God's plans. And I have to remember that all the time. When I fell as a dad, it doesn't mean the plans that God has for me as a dad changes. His plan is still for me to be pointing my kids towards Jesus in hopes that one day he'll bring them into a relationship with him. My plan, God's plan still is for my life is for me to still love my kids and to show my kids in the way that I love them and the words that I use um, that God loves them and that he is changing me to look like him. And when I mess that up, which I do, God's plan does not change in that. I'll give you an example of that. I'm going to tell you a story. You may feel kind of two emotions in this. There may be one that you're like, oh my gosh, And there may be one that you like really want to kind of laugh at, right? It's okay to feel both of those emotions right now, okay, as I tell you that story. So Thursdays is my Fridays for most of you all. We work Sunday through Thursday here. My day off is Friday and Saturday. So Thursday, I probably come home like a lot of you all do if you've worked all week. Um, Like you're just exhausted on Friday. That's Thursday for me. My wife, kidding, not kidding, calls this Thursday night Chris um, when I come home. Um, Like I'm just exhausted. I'm ready to go to bed. I may be slightly irritable. I may be slightly grumpy. Um, Like sometimes I say things that I don't really mean. Um, Like 
you kind of tracking with me maybe? Am I the only one who feels like this? <laughs> so one night I come home on a Thursday, and it's just been a long week, a lot going on. Um, I come home, and I walk in the door, and I'm like, hey, everybody, and everybody's kind of doing their own thing. My wife's cooking. Uh, Miles, our youngest, um, he's running around with his buddies. Uh, my son, my oldest, he's trapped upstairs in his room like any teenager is. Uh, and I just kind of walk in. I'm looking around I'm like, good to see everybody. Glad I'm home. Welcome, Dad. Well, we bought for Miles back in December for Christmas, we bought this dog for him. This dog that he promised that he would be the one to walk, that he would be the one to feed, all this kind of stuff. Like, I'm not, like, much of an animal person, like, pet person. Like, I'm not to the extreme of, like, Josh is to cats, okay? Um, But, like, I just... Like, this dog's not quite my thing. So, like, I come in, everybody's kind of doing their thing, and I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, I make eye contact with this dog, and it's like he's just staring at me. And right as he's staring at me, he just squats down and poops right in the middle of our living room on this new rug that we had just put in. And Thursday night, Chris came out. And I just start, like, I am done. This dog is gone. Someone take a picture of him right now so I can put him on Craigslist. He's going to live outside until someone comes picks him up. Like, I'm done. And everyone's like, no, it's going to be okay. I'm like, no, have him go clean up his mess in there. I'm not doing it again. And so I'm just ranting and raving. We eat dinner together, and I'm still just angry. Like, I'm eating this food, just looking at this dog like, ah, oh. So it's time to go to bed. And Miles and Don are upstairs, and they're getting ready for bed, and and I'm kind of walking up the stairs, and they're sitting on the bed, and Miles looks over at Don, and he says this, Mom, if Dad can take the dog that we adopted and give him away, can he do the same thing to me? I am a failure as a dad. (laughs) The words that I used, what I didn't stop. As for me, it doesn't change the plans that God has for me to continually try to point my kids to him. And I was broken in that moment for several minutes. And then for several minutes after that, I thought, I will have this dog for the rest of our life. <laughs> we will never get rid of this dog now. So if Don and Miles ever go out of town on vacation and you see a dog running down Miles Johnson Parkway, don't stop. Just keep going, okay? It's not ours, I promise. Our failures don't change God's plans for our lives. Let's continue going here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. He says, but I receive mercy... Underline that word if you mark in your Bible at all or if you're taking notes, write down this word mercy. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I loved how Paul uses this word mercy right here because he points to what Jesus is doing in his life and he's exalting Jesus and not himself. 
And he's saying, hey, there's nothing but the mercy and the grace of Jesus that's brought me into a relationship with him. And all the things that come with this, I receive because of the mercy of Jesus, not because of what I've done. C.H. Spurgeon says it like this. He says, if heaven were by merit, it would never be heaven to me. For if I were in it, I should say, I am sure I am here by mistake. I am sure this is not my place. I have no claim to it. But if it be of grace and not of works, then we may walk into heaven with boldness. The only thing that we get, brings us into heaven in the way that we can walk in is the mercy of Jesus. And Paul says that he received mercy It's the name tag that he puts on. He puts on this name tag of mercy that this is what he's received. But when we mess up so many times, what happens to us is when we begin to take on the name tag that the enemy begins to whisper in our ear. This condemnation that the enemy brings, these accusations, this blame, this disapproval, this judgment that the enemy brings, it's not what we are. It's not who we are. We don't put on the name tag of terrible dad. We don't put on the name tag of cheating husband. We don't put on the name tag of dishonest worker. Through his mercy, we put on the name tag of forgiven. You see, our identity is what Jesus has done in us, not what the world has seen in us. Our identity is what Jesus has done in us. That's the name tag that we wear. And we don't look and allow the enemy to whisper these things in our ears. We look and we say, hey, this is who I am in Jesus. In the world, when they say hypocrite, 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 I think the world's really just waiting for us to say, you're right. I mess up. But this is the name tag that I wear that I am new. That I'm a new creation. That we can take on what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says. When it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, if anyone's received the mercy and the grace of Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You get to wear the name tag of new. Not the things of what you've done, but what Jesus has done in your life. Now, I know you're probably like me. There's many times that I don't feel like I'm a new creation, if I'm just being honest with you. And when I don't feel it, there's times that I just have to claim what the Scriptures say, even though I don't feel what the Scriptures are saying. I have to claim what um, Lamentation says when it says that his mercy, that his grace, that his mercy is new every morning. Not just the morning that you came to know Jesus. Every morning, his mercy is new. Or you can go into Revelation chapter 21, where, he says, where Jesus is talking. He says, I'm making all things new. And at the end of this verse, he says that these are trustworthy and true sayings right here. That Jesus is doing something new in our lives. Our identity is what Jesus has done in us and not what the world has seen us do. And then we wrap up this passage of scripture in verse 16. Look what it says. It said, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. 
to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is saying right here that what had happened in his life and who he was before he came to know Jesus, the reason why those things were happening is because Jesus had you and had me in mind when he saved Paul. Because we could look at Paul's life and we could see all the things that had happened in his life leading up to his conversion on this road. Um, We can look at those things and we can say, you know what, if Paul can save someone like that, he can save and use someone like me. You see, sometimes God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And for many of you all, And for me, we have to look and we have to say that what has happened in my life, that God can use it to accomplish what he loves. You are not defined by your mistakes. You are defined by his faithfulness. And so I think for some of us today, we look and we say, how do I become that Christian that we talked about? How do I become that Christian who's less off-putting, that Christian who's less offensive, who's more loving, who's more endearing? I want to become that that Christian that's referred to in 2 Corinthians as the pleasing aroma of Christ to unbelievers. That's who I want to become. But am I a hypocrite or am I a work in progress? I think we changed the question. I thought his faithfulness Or do I focus on my failures? Jesus would say, focus on my faithfulness. Because my faithfulness has named you and has said about you the same things that he said about his son. What God said about his son, he says the same thing if you're a believer in Jesus. When God said, this is my son of who I am well pleased, he says that about you and about me because of his faithfulness. Our walk in Jesus, our walk with Christ, is us putting weight on what he has already declared true about us. That he is pleased with us. That we are his workmanship. That we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Your failures don't change what he has already declared about you. And because of what he's declared about us, We can look at a world and we can say, I am defined by his faithfulness, not by what I've done. And we have the opportunity this morning, Bridge family, to respond in that. To respond in worship of saying, God, great is your faithfulness. That you came and that you changed and that you changed someone like me. And I respond to you, Jesus. And I know that the more I look like you... And the more time that I spend with you, there's going to be times when I don't feel that. But I thank you for the cross. Will you pray pray with me, Bridge family? And so, Father, this morning, we just come and we say that great is your faithfulness, O God. Father, that you could take someone like me and that you could take and say that because, just because you've messed up doesn't change my plans for you. And so, God, I pray that we would become a church, God, that would run hard after your heart 
and the plans that you've given for our lives, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the way that you, that you respond and that you reach out to us. And how you say, this is my son of whom I am well pleased. Father, would we worship you in that way this morning? It's your name we pray. Amen.